Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're with us today. Uh, my name is Matthew. If we haven't had a chance to meet, just one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to have you in the room or watching online. And uh, we've been in a collection of conversations and talks about the King Jesus gospel, looking and walking through the gospel of Matthew and uh, recognizing the teachings about Jesus, his king and his, his kingship and his kingdom. And uh, we want to look at some things today. So uh, join me in Matthew chapter 14. That's where we're at, Matthew 14. If you want to follow along digitally, you can grab your phone, scan the QR code on the screen, and there's a spot there where you can follow along. You you can take some notes yourself, email them to yourself, and reference them throughout the week. And I highly recommend taking notes in church. Again, I've said it before, it's not that there's a, uh, you have to take notes to get into heaven, but why take the risk? <laughs> Just get it in your heart and take some time. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to look at uh, an event, an occurrence, a miracle that Jesus does that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Um, it is one of the only things other than the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. This is one of the only other things that is recorded in all four places. And so we're going to look at what is called the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the multitudes. And I'm going to look at this, this crazy, wild, unbelievable, jaw-dropping, like, huh, event that took place in Jesus' ministry. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13, it says this. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news... He left in a boat to a remote area to be what? To be alone. Very good. But the crowds heard where he was heading. I don't know who leaked it. I don't know which disciples started spreading the news. But I don't want to be that guy. That's all I'm saying. But when the crowd heard where he was headed, they followed on foot from many towns. Now, uh, pause. How many of you traveled from a different town other than Garland to be here today? Yeah, just about everybody in the room. How many of you traveled on foot? Yes. Can we just say thank you, Lord, for the provision of vehicles? Come on. That's, that's good stuff right there. They traveled on foot. And when Jesus saw the huge crowd, as he stepped from the boat, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Verse 15, it says that evening, what time of day? Evening. That evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Just send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, ah, that's not necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread, excuse me, and two fish. We only have that. Well, Jesus says, bring them here. Then he took the people and had them sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples. Who did he give the bread to? The disciples who distributed it to the people. 
they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. How many baskets? 12. Picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day. In addition to all the women and children as well. Over 5,000 were fed that day. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who still does miracles, even when we're facing meager moments in our lives. We pray, Lord, as we open your scripture and we talk and we listen, we pray, Lord, that the words of the preacher's mouth would be in alignment with heaven today. And we pray, Lord, that the ears of the hearer and congregation, Lord, would be pleasing and open towards you today. We ask this in your name. We pray and everybody said, amen. There are some things in life that we remember. Like it doesn't matter where you're at. doesn't matter what you're doing. Like you remember it. There are some things in life that you have forgotten. There are some things in life that you wish you would forget, but you always remember. Isn't that true? And there are some things that you wished you would remember, but you always forget. Right? Like, like you all need to remember that April 30th is your pastor's birthday. Like, you should remember this. But so many forget. No, I'm just kidding. That's, but we do. We have these things in our lives. Important dates, names, events, stories. The kids do something cute and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to remember this for when they're older. No, you won't. You'll probably forget it. Right? Like there are some things we really wish we would remember and some things we really wish we could forget. And one of the reasons why we remember certain things and why we don't remember other things is often because we repeat them in our mind and to ourselves again and again and again. There is this element of repetition that helps us really grab a hold of some things that helps us remember important things. One of the things that we have said from the very beginning of this collection as we've talked about the King Jesus gospel is a simple truth that I am going to repeat again and will continue to repeat through the course of our time together. And that is simply this one truth. The King Jesus gospel is about Jesus as king. I know, I know, I've said it before, but I'm going to repeat it because we need to remember it entirely that the King Jesus gospel is about Jesus as king, which if he is king, that means there is a long list of other people who are not king. Your name and my name are on that list. We might think that we're the king. We might act like we're the Lord of our own lives. We might act like we have supreme authority in our lives. But the minute we want to recognize Jesus as king, that requires us to give up the supremacy of our own life, lowercase s. We give up the own little sovereign domain of our world, and we surrender that to Jesus and give way to him to sit on the throne of our life because Jesus is king and you can acknowledge that now or it will be acknowledged and revealed to you in the end of all time and we talked about that a little bit last week 
One way or another, you will realize that Jesus is king. So may I encourage us to remember, adhere to, and begin to act in a way that allows us to see today, right here, right now, that Jesus is king. And the gospels, the scriptures, the truth of the, of the Bible is telling us this one truth to not forget, to not, um, to not allow out of our many, memory, to repeat to ourselves again and again and again, Jesus, you are king. This is why the songs that we sing, great are you, Lord, remind us. They are songs that we repeatedly put in our minds to remind us of who God is which puts us in proper perspective of who we are or who we are not. This is what it means. We want to hold on to and grab a hold of that Jesus is king. In today's passage, I want to help you understand some dimensions, some elements, some characteristics of Jesus who is king of his kingship, of, of what that looks like, how he interacts with us, and, and the kind of king that he is. Can we do that? Because when we begin to understand the kind of king that he is, that, that requires and that helps inform in us and through us the kind of, don't miss this, the kind of subjects within his kingdom we should be. The kind of people under his rule and reign and dominion that we should be. We get to realize that if he is the king, then how do we act in his kingdom? And so we don't want to forget who he is because when we forget who he is, we will lose ourselves as well. We'll lose kind of a piece of something that we had, something that we need, something that we hold on to. There, there's a revelation and an understanding about who he is as king that helps shape and form and transform our own lives and our own perspectives and beings. Jesus is the king. So what kind of king is he? Number one, here's the kind of king that he is. Jesus is the passionate king. Somebody say passionate. Jesus is the passionate king. Now, now it says here in uh, verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowds. He stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Jesus is the passionate king. Pastor, why didn't you use the word compassion there? That would be more biblically accurate to say compassion. Here's why I said passion instead of compassion. Because in our modern ear hearing, when we think compassion, we just simply think pity. I feel sorry for them. Aw, bless their heart. We have a disposition of feeling pity towards someone, but we are not moved to action to love someone. The, the compassion that Jesus had was a passion that demanded action. It was not passive. It was very active. In fact, Jesus's compassion was so immense and so intense um, that the understanding of this word compassion, this word was used again and again and again to talk about Jesus's life and his ministry. It's a word that is used over 25 times in the New Testament in some form or another. And 
In fact, when you do a kind of a deeper look into the word, it wasn't that he just kind of felt something, but this word compassion is one that means he felt it so deep within his souls, it was like he could feel it in the bowels of his own life and soul. Have you ever felt something so deep within you it ached physically? In the mind of the Jewish person of, of, of Israel at this time, the Jewish way of thinking was that if you had an emotion, that emotion impact you physically. If you really felt something, it would do something in your body. Have you ever felt love sick? Where do you think that phrase came from? That there's an emotion that you are feeling so intense that it, it's impacting you physically. Jesus said he had such compassion. This word compassion is where he felt it in his bowels. You ever felt something start moving around in your bowels? It's hard to sit still when you feel it in that area, isn't it? It's like, I got to, oh, hold on, there's a movement coming. It, just, listen. He was so moved with compassion to people, he felt it in the deepest places, and he was moved. And what did he do? He healed them, all of them. From that morning when he arrived on the shore till the sun began to set and they realized how hungry every was, Jesus spent time compassionately and passionately being with the people, bringing care to them. You want to know what Jesus is passionate about? One word, people. He's passionate about people. The heart of God is for people. Jesus loves people. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says it like this, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Jesus was passionate about helping people interact and meet and see the reality of his father who was in heaven. Jesus came to live and to demonstrate what does it look like to have relationship with the father and he introduced people to the kingdom of heaven and he was full of passion and that's what he did. That's why he did. Scripture tells us in Hebrews that for the joy set before Jesus, he was willing to go to the cross, enduring the cross, enduring the shame and the scorn and the ridicule because there was something joyful on the other side of that thing that he needed to endure. What was the joy that was on the other side? It was people being able to receive the righteousness of God and have right relationship directly with God. Jesus wasn't passionate about a religious system and structure. Jesus wasn't passionate about rituals. Jesus was passionate about people getting to know the Father. He's passionate about people. Friends here at Faith Church, one of our five mindsets is simply this, that we are for people. We're for people. Why in the world are we so committed to people? Why do we love people? Because Jesus loves people. Because the Father loves people. And our mindset is we are for people, and so we're going to expand our circle. We're going to make room for more people to belong to the family of God. Why did we change our service times? Because we just like to change things and mess with people's Sunday mojo. 
No, we changed our service times to make more room in each of our services for more people. We started uh, rearranging some of the flow of our services in the last couple weeks. Why? So that people can encounter the presence of God in an unhurried way. Because people need to encounter the presence of God. Why do we have you turn and say hello and greet people? Why do we have coffee in the morning? And why have we created a little bit more margin in between our services? Is it because our parking lot's too full and we need to get people in and get people out? No. It's so that you can show up early or you can stick around late and engage in relationship with Why do we have connect groups at church? Because we want to make room for people. Jesus is the passionate king, and he's passionate about people. Was he ever annoyed by people? Probably. But not annoyed the way that you would probably get annoyed. Because he was passionate about people. What kind of king do we serve? He's a king who is a passionate king. Here's the second thing that I want us to see today as it relates to who and what kind of king are we serving? What kind of king are we following? What kind of king are we orienting our lives towards? It's this, that Jesus is the promised king. He was the promised king. You know, all through the Gospels, especially though here in the Gospel according to Matthew, the author here goes out of his way to make sure we don't miss the details of the events and the teachings and the occurrences of Jesus that hyperlink to the things that were promised, pointed, told about, or represented in the Old Testament. Matthew goes out of his way to hyperlink what Jesus is doing today with things that had already happened in the past. Because Jesus came to fulfill all that was written about, told about, demonstrated about, and pointed to all of the law, all of the prophets, and much of the things that you would consider your Old Testament are pointing to the promise of Jesus as king. And so little details like um, there was um, 12 baskets of leftovers, how many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. Why is that important? Think back. How many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve. Twelve is the number of governance, order, and structure in the kingdom of God. Matthew is going out of his way to say, listen, the reason Jesus, there was twelve was because Jesus was, was so brilliant. He was a mastermind of doing things that, that, that allowed and worked in such a way that pointed back to the fulfillment of the order and the structure where God was at one time creating a people that would love and serve and demonstrate him. Now Jesus was at work doing something new and fresh and creating a new order of coming to the Father and establishing family order yet again. Why in the world were, were they coming and as they were gathering on the hillside, Jesus had them sit down 
Because it, there's something that happens when you come and sit down at a meal. It demonstrates a unity for all. That everyone there, there wasn't a bouncer checking to see if you were good enough, smart enough, had done the right thing. It was like, hey, are you present? Then you can come and sit and drink and be here with the people of God. And he, he does this over symbolically over what would be known as the Passover meal. Because what did Jesus do at the Last Supper with his disciples on Passover? He took some bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread, and he gave the bread to the disciples. What happens in the Passover meal? There's an element, a component in the Old Testament of recognizing that there is something redemptive at work and the people are participating in a meal that communicates and points to the redemption of Jesus as the Savior. It's all hyperlinked. It's all hyperlinked. It's all hyperlinked because, because two of the, the law and the prophets, think back to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, the children of Israel were getting out of Egypt. They were leaving slavery and they found themselves in a desert place and they were hungry. In Matthew chapter 14, what do we see? We see that the people had traveled to a remote place and were starting to get a little probably hangry little agitated because they hungry. Blood sugar's dropping. I'm going to need some food or I'm going to fight somebody. That's, that's possibly Peter's problem. He's probably like, Lord, we need to get them some food because if I don't get some food, somebody's ears coming off again. like it's happening. I'm going I'm to do something. Right? That's possible. I don't know. Maybe not. But here are the people in a remote desert place hungry. And what had happened in Exodus chapter 16? God rained down bread from heaven to feed them and satisfy them. When you see this writing uh, and this occurrence, this event of Jesus feeding the 5,000, you'll see it in Mark chapter 6, John chapter 6, and Luke chapter 9 if you want to look at it later. But in John chapter 6, there's something really interesting. Uh, John in his gospel takes this occurrence and then hyperlinks it to another and links it to another conversation Jesus had where he reminds them, hey, listen, remember how manna came from heaven? I am the living bread. I am the bread of life. Me, Jesus, I am the bread of life. And I have come down from heaven and all who would partake of my life and my body and eat and drink of me, they will find satisfaction and never hunger again. In other words, Jesus was letting us know there was a hyperlink happening of something of the old that was showing up again here in the new that Jesus was filled. Why? Because Jesus is the promised king. It's all through scripture. There is one unified point of this Bible. It really is all about Jesus. And his love for the people. He's the promised king. But there's another, another time where uh, this miracle of multiplication happens. This isn't the only time. See, for those who would have been well up on the history of the Jewish people, they would have recognized that it wasn't just about the manna in the wilderness right before they got the law of God. But there was another time that a prophet of God saw this same kind of miracle take place. The prophet's name was Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. 
Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah. Elijah came first. Elijah was the prophet that came first, and then Elisha followed. How do I know Elisha? How do I remember it? It's simply this. J comes before S in the alphabet. That's how I remember. Elijah came before Elisha. I know. It's crazy. Simple things help you remember the most important things, friends. Elisha. What happened to Elisha? Here's, here's the event. In 2 Kings chapter 4, it says this one day. A man brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from his first grain of his harvest. Elisha said, give it to the people so they can eat. What? His servant exclaimed. Feed a hundred people with only this? But Elisha repeated, give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says, everyone will eat and there will even be some left over. And then they gave it to the people. There was plenty for all and even some left over. Just as the Lord had promised. Jesus is the promised king. He's the promised king. And his life and his ministry hyperlinked so many of the other things that happened in the Old Testament, in, back in the day, and there was something important that was happening here. I, I can't help but notice this one aspect of this story in 2 Kings, that it was a man bringing his first fruits to the Lord. There is a principle called principles of first that is all through Scripture. And the principle of first isn't just linked to money, but is primarily centered around money as the teaching point to communicate one simple truth, that what you do with the first ends up possibly redeeming the rest. That there is an element of first fruits, that what you do with the first is what, what you are intending to do with the rest. That there's, there's an element of putting priority on something. And Jesus was, was using bread, allowing them to recognize there is a need here and the way in which they were going to meet their need and have this happen was that there had to be something first brought to the Lord. What happened in Elisha's story? There was a man who first brought of the abundance of the harvest of the reality of what he had. Now you need to understand this. In Elisha's day, in this moment, this man was bringing his first to the, to the man of God and he was bringing his first to the man of God in the midst of severe famine. when there was probably a shortage of bread and wheat to go around. But the principle of first says, it doesn't matter how dire things are, I'm still gonna honor God first. Doesn't matter how busy my life gets, I'm still gonna honor God first. Doesn't matter the other priorities that I have that the world tells me to have, I'm gonna put God first. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and watch all of the other things be added in later. There is a miracle of multiplication that can occur in the moment when we recognize I can honor God first and watch what he does with the rest. There's something to that that we can't miss. Some of you are sitting there, Pastor, are you talking about money? Sort of, but not explicitly. And I don't think we have to have a problem with money. Money's a big deal. It was a big deal to God. Jesus talked about money. Did you know Jesus has, uh, that there are, in the scripture, there are over 500 verses about prayer and faith? That's a lot. Prayer and faith, those are important, aren't they? We need those. 
Did you know that there are over 2,000 verses in the New Testament alone that have to do with money? That 25% of the teachings and parables that Jesus used involved money as a point to help us understand life with God better? Because it's not really about money, it's actually about the truth that money teaches us. And the truth that money can teach us is that either I act like I own it or I recognize that Jesus is the promised king who owns it. That's the principle. That's the point. And there's something about that in our lives that bleeds over into every other area of our life. And when we recognize this next point, it helps us bring it to the Lord better. Here's the third thing that I want us to see about Jesus, and that's simply this, that Jesus is the providing king. Jesus provides. He provides. He is the supply. He's not only the supply, he's the source of all supply. He's the source of what you need. Jesus is the providing king. Notice, there were over 5,000 men there. And they all ate their fill. Have you ever seen a grown man at an all-you-can-eat buffet? Come on, I'm talking about like they were eating some bread and some fish, and they were like, this fish and chips is pretty amazing. I'm going to have some seconds and some thirds. Hold on, I need to undo a little bit on my robe right here. I need, to, need a little expansion going on in this, this business because I'm still eating my fill. Jesus isn't lacking for supply. Jesus isn't lacking to bring into your life what you need. Why? Because Jesus is the providing king. There were 12 baskets left over for them to carry away and hold on to. There were 12. There was overflow. There was doggy bags of plenty for them to take home with them and have later on. Like it wasn't just a little. It was full provision. Friends, you need to understand that when Jesus shows up in your life, he's not showing up in your life just to fix a few little things. He's showing up in your life to transform your entire life. He's not showing up just to help you feel loved and some warm and fuzzies. He's showing up to be Lord of all in your life. And when he is Lord of all in your life, all of your life acknowledges him as Lord. There is something that happens in our heart and our mind when we allow him to be the source of what we need, to be the provision that came from heaven. Jesus came down from heaven to be the source of all our needs. He provides it. He's the providing king. He's the providing king. There is a blessing from heaven that is undeniable. When heaven starts to bless something, it's undeniable. Jesus took the bread that they brought him and he did what with it? He blessed it. The miracle of the blessing wasn't in the prayer because Jesus blessed something and then he gave it back to the disciples didn't he? The miracle of multiplication didn't happen just because God blessed it. It happened because the disciples decided to participate and distribute it. See, provision comes from God. 
Provision is God's domain. Participation is yours. Provision comes from God. He's the one supplying some things. There's some things that God has said there is blessing awaiting you. We, we talk about blessing this way around Faith Church. A life that is flourishing. That's what Jesus came to announce in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to see a life that is blessed, if you want to see a life that flourishes, it looks like this. It looks like a life that is willing to, to grieve and mourn and be blessed in that way. It looks like those who hunger and thirst for righteousness getting satisfied and filled. It looks like those who are willing to come and recognize Jesus as king, they receive the fullness of God in them. And in that presence, there is something that begins to, to flourish. Jesus wants your life to flourish through the relationship with God. He wants peace to abound in your life. He wants joy to overflow in your life. He wants uh, the, the provision of God to be evident and shown up in the moment when you need it the most. He wants the fullness of your life to be seen in the fullness of his presence in your life. It's not just about material things. It's about God things showing up that brings a sense of flourishing in our lives so that, so that marriages start to flourish and, and and your schoolwork starts to flourish. And, and opportunities that you see in your life start to flourish in your business. And, and, and then all of a sudden, the other things in your life, there's just a flourishing that takes place because there's a sense of joy. There's a sense of contentment. There's a sense of satisfaction. There's, there's a sense of hope. It's a life that flourishes. It's a life that flourishes because he's the, the provider Provision often comes through our participation, though. It comes through us. It's interesting that Jesus makes his disciples the agents of the blessing to the crowd. Jesus makes the disciples the agents of the blessing. Jesus doesn't have to. If Jesus wanted to be like, Lord, here's this bread, let it rain. Bread starts falling, flesh start flopping out, hitting people on the head. Everybody's got plenty of fish and bread. I mean, he could have done it that way. Would have been even weirder, but he didn't. He invites his disciples to participate in being agents of his agency in the kingdom. God doesn't have to use people to experience the fullness of God in other people's lives, but he invites us to participate in it. He, he doesn't... If God wanted to come and preach this message himself, he could show up and preach this message himself. But for whatever reason, he chose the homeboy with a mustache and a floral shirt to bring the message today. Why? I don't know, but he did. He always invites our participants. My question is, what's keeping you from participating? If God wants to bring provision and bring the blessing of heaven into other people's lives, what's keeping you from participating? If God wants to bring hope into someone else's life, what's keeping you from being a hope dealer in someone else's life? If God wants to help other people experience forgiveness of heaven that's available for them, what's keeping you from giving that forgiveness to them? What's keeping you from participating 
in the provision God's trying to get from heaven to people whom he is deeply passionate about and he's promised to be a provider. Listen, if you're not going to participate, God's going to find someone who will participate because he is the king who fulfills his promise and his promise is to remain passionate about people and in his passion for people, he wants to bring provision into their life that allows them to flourish when they recognize he's the source of life. So either you're going to participate or someone else will. He invites us, though, to participate in this process. I wonder if what's keeping you from participating is the thing that caused the disciples to hesitate. Hey, why don't, why don't you go meet that need? I don't have anything. <laughs> All I have is some bread and some fish, and it's actually a little boy's who I stole it from. <laughs> I think, I don't have anything. Hey, I want, you, I want you to go and be joy in someone else's life. But I don't have any joy, Lord. I want you to go pay for somebody's meal. But I don't have any money to give them, Lord. I only have a little bit of... I wonder how many of us are complaining and comparing and criticizing what we do have instead of recognizing it that what we do have is perhaps an opportunity to participate in what God wants to do in someone else. Don't miss this. God will never ask you to do something or participate in his kingdom that he doesn't actually give you the thing to do with anyway. If you need to give love to someone else, it's only because God has already given you that love to give to them. If God is asking you to give forgiveness to someone so they can experience the flourishing of freedom in something, it's only because he gave you forgiveness first and you can be a conduit, a distributing center to give the blessing of heaven that what has you have freely received from heaven we turn around and freely give to the world around us this is what it looks like when jesus is king this is what it looks like when jesus is the providing king and it's it's something that we need to understand that even against the backdrop of our perceived deficiencies often our contribution leads to the miraculous why Because point number four, Jesus is the paradoxical king. It's something that doesn't make sense. Lord, you you want us to feed 5,000? Three pieces of bread and a few fish, Lord. Listen, I I know, Jesus, you spent time as a carpenter, but let me do the math for you. Jesus, you don't understand. Like, bread for three, fish for two, 5,000. Let me say it slower, Jesus. I want you you to come and, and, and follow me. Lord, that, that's going to require me to give up a whole lot of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you want to find your life, you're going to have to give up your life. 
if you want to experience the flourishing of the kingdom of God, it's because you give surrender of your life to the king. In order to experience resurrection, you first have to have a death. It's a paradox. Why in the world would he say, I want you to give only to then be able to receive? If, if the miraculous is going re- to occur, if the miracle of multiplication was going to happen, it's going to happen because people of God recognize that the very thing that we need to see out there is something that is in us in seed form. And he's waiting for you to sow some seed in order to meet a need. When you give of your need, you will find your needs being met. It's the kingdom paradox. It's it's the paradox of the kingdom. It's kingdom math. Kingdom math doesn't make sense. We think that subtraction should equal subtraction. But in the kingdom of God, what feels like subtraction on our part is actually multiplication on God's part. And here's the thing. Often the paradox of the king is seen in our most, in our time of having our deepest need. What, what do you mean, pastor? Well, let me use Jesus' life as an example. In the very beginning of this passage, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. What was Jesus trying to do? Get alone. There was something that he, dare I say, needed. And I don't say needed on the sense of like he was no longer divine and fully sufficient. I I mean needed in the sense of he was a human and he needed a minute with God. Why? Because of the news he just heard. What news? Master, John the Baptist, your cousin, just was beheaded and is now dead. Jesus was leaving to go grieve. Jesus was going because every ounce of love in him was aching. Then there was an element of sadness involved where he was like, man, I just, I need to lament for a minute. My cousin's dead. And what happens? He gets out of the boat, ready to grieve and lament and be alone with the Father. And people are there. And people who were hurting, people who needed healing, people who needed hope, People whose lives were like in shambles and they were just looking for something. They were looking for a savior. And Jesus set aside and he ministered anyways. Sometimes the healing you need to see in your soul is on the other side of a sacrificial surrendered obedience to serve someone else. Pastor, what do, you, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you, it's the paradox of the kingdom. It's the paradox of our paradoxical kingdom, which we follow and serve. If he modeled it, it's for us to repeat. What did he do? That means in the moment when you are 
most discouraged, instead of ranting on Facebook and giving some subtext post about how horrible and sad, and what do you do? You look for someone else to give encouragement to. And in your deepest need for encouragement, you give encouragement to someone else. And you know what happens on the other side of that? The miracle of multiplication shows up in your life in the form of encouragement. When you're depressed and, and you're just wallowing in self stuff, like everything in, it's just, woe is me, this isn't good, this isn't like, you know what you need to do? You need to go find a way to give of yourself to someone else. Go serve someone else. Go do something for someone else that they can't do for you. Because it, getting out of yourself is the seed to receive that which you need. Because it's the paradox of the kingdom. When you have a need, sow that seed. When you have that need, sow that seed. When you're in the moment where you just need a friend, go be a friend to someone else. The Bible says he who wants to have friends must show himself friendly. Have a need, sow a seed. Because the invitation of the king in his kingdom it seems paradoxical that in the moment of my greatest need, perhaps there's an opportunity to meet someone else's need. And when I give, not from my abundance, but from a place of my need, I will recognize that the God who sees all needs can meet my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Because when I step out to live like Christ Jesus, giving selfishly of what I feel like I need the most, I can be an encouragement to someone else and in that act of giving that is very selfless I'm going to find myself satisfied in a different place have a need something deficient inside of you something missing start to give it and you'll see it come back you need the peace of God start trusting the person of Christ more and in your trust given in Christ, you'll find peace start to abound more. You need joy in your life? Start sowing joy into other people's lives. It's this weird thing, right? Like do to others what you want them to do to, to, to you? As long as the earth remains, there's seed time and harvest. The miracle, the, the thing, the move of God, the touch of heaven that you're longing for, looking for, aching for, is on the other side of your obedient surrender to sow that which God has asked you to sow. Because he's first. He's preeminent. He's king. He's king. He's the passionate king. He's a paradoxical king. He's a providing king. Oh, and he's the promised king. Jesus is king. The question is, is he king of your world? Is he king of your world? Or he's just the king that you've read about? Or have you surrendered your own heart, your own life, to allow him to be the king of your life? Because when the king shows up, oh, there's a promise, there's passion, there's provision, and there's paradox awaiting us. 
And when we recognize it, there's something powerful that takes place in our lives. There's something that happens in our lives when we let him be king and we just go where he leads in every area of our life. There's a flourishing of heaven that shows up in, that, in our space. And that's what we long to see. Not because we're trying to manipulate God into something. Because God desires to do it anyways. And he changes and shifts our hearts and purifies them all in the process. Amen? Would you stand with me? We want to come to just a moment of, of response. And in this moment of response, we stand as a way of just saying, God, here am I. I'm available. I'm, I'm open. What, what are you saying? Saying to me, would you just bow your heads for a second? Just quiet your soul, your mind, and just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today, Lord? Are there some things you're asking me to do in obedience? It's a moment of surrender. Is there, is there a need I can meet, God? Are there things that I've been waiting for you to do for me and you're actually wanting to do through me instead? What's my participation in your kingdom, Lord? Today, Lord, we believe we've heard your word. Lord, maybe some today are in a moment where they are, they are deeply in need, God. And they need you to come through. They're waiting for you. They're looking for you. Lord, Lord would you give us the boldness to just go and ask for prayer? Because sometimes on the other side of our willingness to ask is that act of humility and surrender to you where you show up in a special way. So, Lord, if we need prayer, Lord, would you help us to have the courage to go ask for it? Or maybe some of us are in a room where we recognize there's something that we've been deficient of, but Lord, you're wanting us to not be deficient, but to become a distribution center of it. So Lord, would you help us to do that in other people's lives? Jesus, be the king of our world today. Be the king of our hearts and our lives today. Now Lord, I pray for your people pray, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. I pray, Lord, you would make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. I pray, Lord, you would lift your countenance towards them and give them your peace. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us passionately. In the name of the Son who demonstrated that passionate love by dying for us. And the name of the Holy Spirit who reminds us every day this week that we are loved by you, we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I wanna ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. 
You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, you're, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.